Hello everyone and welcome to a brand new episode of Constructed Criticism. I'm your host Easy, and I'm joined by my co-host Ape Stein. Yay! <laughs> that sounded so not like actually happening than Mason Clark. Mason, that smile I, got I, huge. That was great. I, I'm ecstatic, baby. You know, I, I'm happy to be here on the eve of America's birthday. So the eve. you're all bundled up too. You you look oh, yeah. like it's January third. Not, oh, not yeah. July 3rd. It's January blanket, 3rd in my bedroom all the time. That blanket looks so cold, like warm too. Like it looks like oh, very yeah. hefty and like, like is it f- like two layers of fleece? Is it weighted? It's not weighted. I have my weighted one over here. Um, it is like, I can't remember what it is. Brittany um, Davis got this for me as a gift for Christmas and it's very warm. It's like some space technology thing. It looks know. like It looks like two layers of fleece sewn together. It's great. All right. I'm a little cocoon of happiness. Little cocoon of happiness. Uh, well, uh, we won't be talking about cocoons of happiness today. We'll be talking about Pioneer because today is the culmination of all of the RCs have been completed. Um, we've still got some Pioneer events going on for people to qualify for Atlanta. And we want to talk about what did the best in the last six RCs. Six. There are six RCs in this round of RCs. Uh, and I, I don't know, guys. I just didn't expect that many. Like, I don't know why. Like, obviously, the whole world gets them, but it just, I felt like we had so many done, already done so many, that six just seemed like so much. Yeah, I also, I don't know, someone who officially got their uh, their qualification deferred to Chicago because it was too hard to schedule and plan everything to, like, go to, uh, go to Barcelona for the PT. I feel for anyone who qualified for this PT and did not already have time set out for and like you know money set aside like, going to this program. isn't the pt in like two weeks it's two weeks. uh at the end of the month it's it's a uh, three weeks four weeks it's like the 28th oh okay yeah yeah and then there are people who literally qualified as the time of recording yesterday yes people yeah. from brazil and south america who will be trying to get flights to barcelona uh in the middle of in the middle of july or i guess towards the end of july in two weeks and need a passport to do so, et cetera, et cetera. So I don't know. Turnover time on these, a little rough, a little rough. Well, it could be better for me for the RC system right now, having experienced this one. But overall, it is just a lot of events. Like, it's pretty awesome to see that we have just like two months of, of a ton of results. Yeah. Well, let's get into the point of the show. The point of the show every week is to be always improving. We want to be able to get better each week. One of the reasons we do these Power Rankings episodes is to help you be always improving. Um, But we also take some time each week to talk about the things that we've done to improve. Uh, I'm going to go first this week. Uh, This week I played in uh, a Pioneer RCQ where I lost my winning in for top eight against friend of the show, uh, Patrick O'Boyle. Uh, who ended up uh, getting the concession in the semifinals to qualify for Atlanta. So congratulations to him. Um, and my always improving moment is uh, is actually about having, like, good mental stamina. And one of the reasons that I bring it up is actually about Patty. Uh, Patty started the tournament 0-1-1 and, uh, and was very upset at his round two that he got the unintentional draw. And he's like, hey, I can't leave my tournaments over already. Like, I really want to go to Atlanta. And I was like, man, your tournament's not over. You just have to win the next four rounds. And then you're, you may, you'll are you be locked for dot bait. And then you can win. And, uh, you know, he was pretty defeated 
going out of that round and I kind of got to play hype man for him. And the reason that this I think is so important is too often we get used to magic being like, I don't know, we, we, we don't look at things in individualized moments, right? We don't look at our next match just as our next match. We look at it as part of a bigger story. And when you take an opportunity to look at everything individualized, um, by the end of the day, you could end up qualified for Atlanta, right? And I, I think that I that's something that like we all have to learn and that I had a lot of fun kind of pushing that onto Patty this week. That's great. It's important to keep going. You're not dead until you're actually dead. Yep. And what are you, Mason? Uh, my always improving moment from this last week really comes from working on attacking and blocking and just wanting to stretch that skill and that muscle some more. It's something that I think no matter how good you get at magic and no matter how much you like improve at that skill, it's something you have to constantly be vigilant about in every game. Um, but despite that fact, you should still kind of work on it. So I've been playing a lot of decks recently that really sort of flex that muscle and um, playing a little bit of limited as well. And just really working on that. Played a lot of the Boris Convoke deck in Modern. And that deck, you really have to like get in a lot of attacking and blocking and weird things to overpower the deck. So I've been playing that a lot, having a lot of fun and really working on that skill. But that was my opinion pretty this week. Awesome, Abe. Uh, Miles improvement this week was so over the weekend. I actually went to um, a wedding of a, of a very good friend of mine who I know through Magic, and as part of it, we got together like a whole the whole group of us that really um, I worked with throughout like twenty sixteen to like twenty eighteen or twenty nineteen, um, and having a chance to just be around those people and like kind of talk about Magic through how they're experiencing it right now, um, especially with like. Um, just getting uh, my friend Sakanik's perspective on um, like both of us kind of looking at modern through like fresh eyes because he hasn't played in quite a while and me kind of like learning and evaluating what's going on in the format in a new way um, with all of the, the changes from Lord of the Rings. Just really a great opportunity to like take in fresh perspectives on like all sorts of formats. Like not, not just like talking about modern or like in the, thing, the sense of like, oh, what's going on with the One Ring? What's going on with Bowmasters? You know, these cards that are making an obvious impact, but looking beyond that and like, oh, well, like if, um, you know, if the format changed and we wanted to play a deck like this, like what would that look like in terms of like, uh, it's like that one blue red kind of like electrolyzed like card, like draw two or like deal five. Um, like, what would it take for that card to be good? Because that's obviously something that a bunch of us who are all akin to casting Electrolyze would have loved to, card? to be good. No. It's, it's not it's a, a wizard. It's a wizard card. Yeah, it's a wizard enabled. Okay, card. got it. Got it. So it's good with Snapcaster Mage, another card that is lost. Snapcaster, yeah, like, baby! Like, like, are these things, uh, you know, what would it take for these things to be good again? You know, what would it take for, for that to be the case? And really just, like, spending time exploring that and getting those perspectives was a really, really... Uh, Nice, always improving. Get to talk about magic in a way that, and from perspectives that I haven't been around in a while. Nice. Uh, if you want to talk about your always improving them, one of the best ways to do that is become a patron. Join the Patreon Discord uh, for patrons of $5 or more. Shout out to Daniel, our newest patron. Uh, part of that Discord is able to, you know, kind of see 
you know, the power rankings that we talked about today, they come out early. They We're going to post extra stuff in there uh, around coming, all the RCs and stuff. So, uh, really cool place. And shout out to Daniel. Thank you so much for being a patron. It means the world every time we get that notification. So, with all of that being said, let's just dive into our main topic. We've got uh, six events to, that are being covered in today's power rankings. Um, and I want to take a moment to talk about those events and then kind of explain what the power rankings are for maybe some new listeners. So... Um, the events that we're covering are the South American, Brazil, uh, Japan slash Korea, Australia, the Edmonton Canadian, and the EU uh, RCs. And the reason that we do these power rankings and the way that they're set up is we give points to decks according to their finish in events, but they're weighted. Uh, they're they're weighted. So like first place gets six, second gets uh, five, top four gets four, third gets eight. Top 16 gets two, and then one for top 32. We actually didn't do that for this event. I had already put in 100 decks. I wasn't putting in 100 more. Um, and so the, what we're looking at here is a scale that weights them pretty close to um, match wins. Because these are about the, the way, like you need about one more match win to go from top 16 to top 32 in some events, or uh, from top 16 to top 8, so on and so forth. And then once you're in the top 8, you get extra points for each win you get. Um, and the reason that we do this, it, weighted by wins, uh, is to give you a representation of, like, not just the decks that are doing well week in and week out, like they're getting those top eights, but actually showing, like, here are the decks that are capable of actually finishing and, and winning an event, too. So, uh, yeah, anything to say on that kind of before we go over the, what, what how did this ended up going, guys? Well, um, yeah, I mean, I just want to say that we... You alluded to it, but because we have the uh, the RC data for and the power rankings from our last power ranking episode about a month ago, um, you know, it is it was possible for us to maybe merge those and just kind of look at the format as a whole. But I think it is important to say that kind of looking at it as two batches, and the reason we're doing that is because obviously the information from something we don't experience a lot these days in Magic, experience from the events that precede another set of events immediately afterwards kind of influence that. So really like looking at what has changed, what's, what's developing um, through that is why we didn't necessarily do that for this one. But there's like a ton of, there's a ton of things you can do. We have a ton of data on Pioneer as it's been pressure cooked once again, like it was kind of uh, around Atlanta and around the Pro Tour um, yeah. to see what's what's going on in the format. And for what it's worth, half of the top eight are different decks. So, you know, I think that that goes to show that there is some relative change happening in the format. Uh, and and to be honest, when we get into it later, well, like, I'll, I'll talk about some things that really surprised me. But coming in in eighth place, one of the decks that was not uh, in our top eight last time was Is It Phoenix, uh, coming in with thirteen points. I believe that won one of the events uh, as well. So you know, it's still capable of taking one down. Yeah, this is actually the deck I played at RRC in the states. They got first in one RC, and uh, I believe. Top four and another, along with some other miscellaneous finishes. Uh, if you look at the top 32s, which we didn't cover in this one. But yeah, I think that deck was really well positioned um, for like the first little while, uh, up until kind of, I would say the time at one is when people started like re respecting it. And Phoenix is very strong if you do not give it the proper hate cards. Like it, it is kind of a fundamentally broken deck, but it just kind of folds to a lot of the hate. But the hate wasn't really being played. There wasn't really much reason to, and players had moved their points kind of around to fight other battles, and 
players picked up on that and started playing Phoenix and got rewarded with some really solid finishes. And I think the deck is good. And it's one of those things that you play Phoenix in opportune moments, not all the time. It, I don't think it's a deck that can sort of always be up there like a mono green or a Rakdos is right now. Um, but it, it is very strong when the time is right. Yeah, I actually think that the data kind of reflects what you just said. Having uh, a win, a top four, and a top eight means that if you're playing this deck and doing well with it, you're probably doing it because the metagame says that people aren't prepared for it, thus thrusting it into the upper echelon of decks that finish. Yeah, I mean, like, if you look at what happened, like, before the... And kind of what has happened in the format before, um, like, right before Dallas, it was like, oh, Convoke, Convoke. Like, this deck is is the deck to play. It's, like, super low to the ground, super fast. Phoenix's worst enemy is, like, Unlicensed Hearse or, like, Go Blank. Both of those cards are kind of embarrassed by whatever is going on with Convoke, like decks that are playing the board that fast. And so it definitely has benefited from, like, a metagame positioning of people just needing to target other things and it was really primed to take advantage of that. And even as, like, you know, things like a lot of the slower decks getting preyed on like that, like creativity have started to fall out of favor or, um, you know, like Lotus Field has not been performing as well. More and more of those cards that were kind of the incidental things that were catching Phoenix have disappeared. So yeah, like seeing this in its, in its finishes that are really, um, despite it having being very low represented uh, compared to where it might've been like six months ago, uh, still putting up these high finishes, not surprising me at all. It really is just in a very good spot for those reasons. Yeah, I, I at the RCQ that I played yesterday, there was a lot of Phoenix. I was actually kind of surprised to see the number of people that brought that deck. Um, because the last two RCQs in Utah, there has been zero copies of Rakdos Midrange in the room. And, you know, we kind of talked about in this podcast that sometimes this deck kind of replaces that deck as far as, like, the matchups you're trying to hit. And it's about what what you think your matchups are in other spots right that that would make you choose one over the other but it, it i just i was surprised to see that yeah one of phoenix's best matchup is a deck we didn't talk too much about last time and i don't want to spoil where it is but it's high on our rankings for sure that's one of its you know premium matchups so i wonder if that's maybe uh, a thing of it and we'll sort of you know the I'm talking about sacrifice where does it land on the list who knows stay tuned but um that's like a really good matchup for phoenix and a lot of your cards lined up really really well against them so it is interesting to sort of see people arming in that direction. I'm curious to see how it goes with time. My thoughts are it's not good enough to stick around long-term. Um, you know, I've ended up playing Phoenix for the two Pioneer RCs and very, you know, begrudgingly both times, but I thought it was well-positioned and, you know, I maybe I was just a little a week ahead or whatever, but uh, it is... Uh, speaking, nice. speaking of graveyard decks, the deck that comes in uh, tied, uh, the reason that I put it at seven is because it had more finishes uh, was Abzan... Uh, Grease Tank, uh, also coming in with 13 points. And this is another deck that just wasn't on the list of top eight decks performing performances uh, in the first four RCs. And honestly, I I don't know how you guys feel about this deck. I, I feel like this deck is like this. This is one of the rules of engagement decks in the format where it very much wants to be on the play. And it very much is a Thoughtseize deck. I mean, it has Thoughtseize in the deck. And it, it... I think that that actually kind of holds this deck back because it's too aligned with the things that you're already trying to beat and the thing, the ways you're already trying to play the games. Um, 
I don't know. What are your guys' thoughts? I think Abzan Griesfang is underplayed and overhyped at how good it is at just killing people on turn three. Um, I think players don't like a lot of players don't really like playing decks like Griesfang, and they are like really afraid of running into hate cards and just kind of auto dying. But there are moments where it is very strong. I think one of its bigger problems is kind of decks that go lower on the ground and apply a lot of pressure quickly. So like Convoke, for example, was the big uh, sort of narrative, like Abe mentioned, uh, for the last round of RCs. I'm sorry, the, the first half of the RCs, I should say, this year. Uh, and that really kind of pushed people away from Grease Fang. I think as Convoke, um, the the real world, like, you know, implications of the deck sit in and the hype died down, people started picking back up their Grease Fang. I think it is good. I do think like you said, it's kind of a thought seize deck and its job is kind of like, at least when, when I've like played it and seen it played really well, it's kind of like, yeah, I can turn three combo you, but a lot of times I go like, you know, turn four, turn five, thought seize clear the way and then kind of hit you. And then I sort of have too much advantage to catch back up from. So I think the deck is good. I think it is underplay, but it's overhyped how much it just like, blah, you're dead, no skill da, 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 from players. I, I don't know how to respond to the no skill comment. Uh, that's that's a weird thing to say. Uh, I hope people don't say that to their opponents or other people. I mean, people talk about decks like that all the time. It's true. I mean, oh. like, here, here's the thing. I think that Abzan is just, like, a fine deck. And, like, the number of, I don't know, you go to, like, an RCQ and you, like, listen to the room. And people just, you throw their word, we're broken around, like... You know, everything's broken now. Everything's busted. Everything, you know. And I I just think that Abzan, they're one of the reasons that we see Abzan over the other decks that we're doing this in Pioneer is because of things like Chariot. Because of its mid-range potential. Because, you know, despite everything, Witherbloom Command is, like, a pretty good card for this deck. You know, there's there's a lot of things that this deck gets. Um, It has the ability to grind out with things like Seder Wayfinder. And I just think that its position right here on these power rankings is like right where I would put it. Yeah, I think that, I mean, and this kind of plays into, if you look at the the last uh, power rankings we did, uh, like a lot of the, a lot of the decks that we're talking about here that are like new, right? Phoenix and, and Abzan both being um, like new players to the to the power rankings compared to last month. Um, both of these, I think, are just in a good position to be attacking the rest of the response to kind of that upper echelon of decks from last month, right? Like, both Phoenix and Greasefang are good against um, some of the things that we'll talk about later on that are, um, you know, in positions to be not being preyed on by, you know, this kind of like, oh, what's going on with Convoke, or like the overreaction maybe to that, Um and and are like the space that's opening up in the metagame is people are trying to respond to it. Both Greasefang and Phoenix are proven strong ways to take advantage of those kinds of metagames, and I think they're just successfully doing so. Well, let's talk about the next deck. It does come in with 15 points. It also was not on the rankings last time, despite its uh, hype or its mean potential, and that is Convoke. Uh, Mason, what, what's bringing Convoke up? I think a couple things. One... So, you know, I had a really hot take, and I'm known to get some hot takes. And my hot take before about Convoke was it was a totally reasonable deck that will stick around in the Pioneer metagame forever. And I think this kind of shows it. It's kind of like this is just a proactive deck 
that gets on the board quickly and kills the opponent. And when you don't have players, you know, sideboarding three or four extra cards for you because then everyone's telling them on social media this is the second coming of one of the greatest decks of all time, then players are going to, you know, players respond and like they have a lot of extra hate. And it's hard for most decks to fight through getting, you know, a lot of extremely targeted hate. Uh, and so Convoke kind of fell off a little bit. And I think there was some, you know, amount of adaptation and evolution with the deck that needed to happen. And also just like people got better at playing it. I think Convoke is a very hard deck to play in really well. And that's going to make it a spot where, you know, it is like, oh, like this is good. I can tell it's good, but I need to like prove and practice with it more. And like, even if I'm doing all those things, I'm running into things like Hidetsu Consumes All or Ratchet Bombs or whatever it was that was like holding them back. So I think the Convoke deck is very strong. I am a big fan of it. And I really liked, um, I wish I could remember their name now, but there was an incredible match of the Japanese RC topic that I watched of this deck versus Gruel that was really, really good. I think it's on YouTube. You can go find it. Um, but the deck just has a lot of play to it and is very, very strong, um, but is not like broken, I think, by any means. And the sort of metagame shown that. And I think there's actually, you know, before when we last talked about the deck, I was like, oh, yeah, you couldn't pay me to get off Burning Tree Emissary or whatever. And I think there are, like, good reasons to be playing the other versions of the deck now. And that's been a really cool uh, thing to see is, like, yeah, Burning Tree is, like, more explosive and does these things and puts you in one direction. But maybe the hate's moving in a way where you want to play things like, um, oh, I think it's Reinforcement of the Guard or something like that, where it's, like, basically raise the alarm on a creature. Um, but things like that, like moving the deck in different directions and playing those different game plans has been really cool. And I, I have a lot of respect for this deck and it's definitely a deck that's like high on my list of if I was still playing RCQs and I couldn't play mono green, uh, Convoke would be like near the top of mine, even though it doesn't re represent that way in power rankings. Yeah. I think that like Convoke, because it came out the gate so strong and was attacking the format in such a new way it had the advantage of not having to worry about being the most optimized. It just was already good enough to show up and, and win a lot as it did when it first hit the scene as it's kind of had time and pressure of, okay, this is how I'm, this is how my deck beats you. And this is like the cards that I will play to, to beat your strategy. It's kind of having to respond in turn by either slowing itself down a bit instead of being like all in on, on burning tree bushbracker or, um, you know, find these different game plans to adapt to knowing what the specific ways it's going to get hated out are. And seeing that kind of means that I think we'll kind of see it settle towards an equilibrium where people aren't over-respecting the deck, therefore pushing it all the way out, are just doing a reasonable level of respecting of it. And it's able to do a good job of constructing itself to uh, be able to beat those things some amount of the time, right? To have the counterplay to those some amount of the time in order to to keep up. And I think it will really just settle into being like, you have know, kind of seen periods where like mono red or a Tarka red were like, you know, they would have a flash in the pan success, but it just really wasn't quite there. I think this deck is much more close to being there in terms of like a low to the ground fast aggro deck because its cards are are good enough to not need like not having burn spells really makes it actually a more like sustainable deck to be playing. Your, well, I, your floor is much higher. I think if you think about the rules of engagement for aggro decks in this format historically, right? Like, it's not like humans is out here like splashing red to burn people out, right? And it is easily the most successful, you know, aggro deck that this format has had. Um, it's, it's not even close. So 
you know, that means that playing to the board is actually really important in this format if you're going to be aggressive. It not just ending the game, like, not just from flinging things at your opponent's face. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, so much of the format, really, in the rules against format, are that playing to the board is a lot. Right, like... Well, a huge a huge reason for that is... Gruel. Oh, yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, like, Gruel is one of the... Uh, you know, it was one of the best decks for a while because it was just dominant on the battlefield. Right. You know, like, Asika's Chariot is a card that allows a lot of these decks to have a plan B built into its plan A's of just, I'm putting just a lot of bodies and a lot of stats on the table for one card, and that is inherently good enough for the format. And so this deck is really doing that, like, multiple turns earlier, right? If you're, like, yeah. powering out a venerated Loxodon, that's basically the Seekers Chariot on turn, like, two or three. And I I think, for what it's worth, that one of the things to think about is, you, I talked a lot about this, about, like, Elves and Thoughtseize, right? And one of the really good ways to beat both of those cards is to play things to the board, uh, because it pressures them to use their Elf mana really fast, um, and that means that they don't, like, they can't chump with it, they can't, and it's like, you put, you're putting them in a pinching position with the elves, and then for Thoughtseize, it's like, okay, Thoughtseize me, but my whole hand's gonna be in play, and you haven't done anything yet. So, both, both, I think, I think that the, rack, the, sorry, not the Rakdos deck, the, um, the Convoke deck does a really good job of that. So, this, this deck comes in with 17 points, we're talking about blue-white, and it is less points than last time, but I, I also think that, like, one, uh, another blue-eye control deck just won an event that's going to take people off of the classic control deck and put them on to blue-white lotus. I'm kind of curious, your guys' thoughts, and I'll, I'll start with you, Mason, where you see blue-white versus blue-white lotus, and why is it the blue-white still did better? Um, I think it's a couple reasons. So one, if you haven't seen blue-white lotus really quickly, it is a control deck that plays lotus field. And then it collects a couple strict proctors, which is a two mana one three that when something enters the battlefield, its triggered ability is countered unless you pay two mana. So the joke is you play that one three flyer, you play your Lotus Field. Oh, I didn't pay the two. Oh no, my Lotus Field stack, you know, ability doesn't trigger. Now you're up a bunch of mana. And strict proctor actually lines up pretty well against a lot of other random things. You know, if you start looking around in the format, we talked about burning tree emissary, so I can go that wouldn't work. Say to wayfinder, such a supplier. You get the idea. A bunch of things just randomly get turned off by this card. And being a 1-3 flyer also holds you down a little bit against aggro decks. So um, I think there are a few reasons. One, I think while they are very similar in big picture, like these are both control decks and trying to do the thing, I think the blue-white lows field kind of appeals to a different type of player. And it looks really weird, too. It looks like a deck that does not... Like, it, it looks kind of like a joke more than it looks like a real thing. But it is, like, a very strong... I think reasonable way to play blue white control. I would assume that a lot of blue white control players are either one a little hesitant to pick up the new sauce, or two, they believe that that sort of go big way over the top of the meta game approach to blue white wasn't the way they wanted to approach the games. Um, I have not been in the pioneer trenches as much, but I know that personally, I thought blue white lotus field looked a lot more appealing. It seemed much stronger against Rectus mid range and mono green and sacrifice and. Um, the like, yeah, I think that miscellaneous that mono green matchup, uh, is like a buy, but Strict Proctor is so good against mono green, yeah. Strict Proctor is good. You have a bunch of farewells, you have a bunch of discontinuity, which is the end of the turn 
and then you know take a new one so for six mana so that's a card that like you can respond to your opponent casting the spell we're just in their upkeep skip their turn so a lot of different things go on with there and i think the blue white lotus deck is very good and i think it just takes some time i also think it like we saw with convoke there's a lot of hype about this deck when it sort of happened we didn't mention it too much on our last uh, power rankings window it was one of the uh, decks that won the last rc in uh ontario i believe and I, I think the deck is good. I think it's going to take some time to get it all ironed out. Um, but I think if you're like a blue-white control main, you love Teferi for life, and you have your box of Teferi cards, I would seriously put these cards in the box and then be looking for times when monitoring, for example, is really big, and then pull them out at that time. But Abe, I'm curious what your thoughts are. Yeah, I don't really have a lot new to say on blue-white. I think all you just said about Lotus, um, like Lotus blue-white, is really true. And I think that that's like the new frontier for for blue white decks is they kind of like i feel like they need a bit of ad of adaptation in order to keep up with um the top ends of the format i think also that just like the the things that make blue white traditionally good you know access to cards like temporary lockdown access to supreme verdict access to like farewell and just like a a clean game plan that is strong against getting thought seized where like all of your cards basically do the same thing. And like, then you have like memory deluge and fairy to find everything you need when you need it. Like that is still about as good as ever, but I personally still struggle with a lot about it. Even if right now, I think the format is in a place where uh, a lot of the things that are naturally right. A lot of things that play into its strengths are, are strong. Uh, one of the things that I wanted to look at was what the data said about kind of different decks going out of this weekend. And uh, Azorius Lotus Field actually was one of the worst performing decks, only with 17 matches played, though, that were used. Um, uh, that would just be one player, like, played the deck at, at the RCs this last weekend. And so it's it, they didn't do well, but... One of the things that I that I think is interesting is if you looked at blue white control, um, kind of going out of the last round of RCs, one of the things that we kind of talked about was where does it sit versus these Rakdos decks, and if it's not good in this matchup, why why do we want to play it? So I think I think that that is still a question that needs to be answered for this deck. Um, if you look on the data, that is actually a matchup that we have quite a bit of data on, or I guess it's about the same amount of data as the total number of matches played um, for for the other deck, but that's like a full tournament. If it only played against Arakos midrange, it would have gone 7 and 11. And that is not good. I, I think I think Blue-White has a real problem in this format where it is really good against Mono Green, and it is not very good against like any of the Rakdos decks. And I, I think that that... That's something you can get over, right? Like, I think that, you know, one of the things we talked about last time is, like, the skill diff equation, right? Like, if your opponent's not very good at thought seizing you and they're thought seizing you at the wrong time, you can still get over this problem. But the thing is, is that your the Rakdos midrange deck and the Rakdos sack deck have aggressive enough draws to pressure you still while also having thought seize. Yeah. Yeah, I think you just lose a lot of the proactive element by playing blue-white, but you are still one of these, like... I can just play better than you in a lot of spots or identify what matters more in a lot of spots and win because of that. That's really like in those, in those player diff situations. Um, if, if that's what we're calling them, but 
like it does i think inherently have a weakness against the breadth of the format like because it is coming with answers instead of like threats it's just going to work a little bit harder to make sure that it's answering all the right things and need those to line up as opposed to the fail rate on something like gruel or rakdos where it's like my favorite is i still have Fable the Mirror Breaker or Seeker's Chariot and uh, Sky Sovereign, and right, I have, I just have a top end that will kill you, or these cards that need to be answered. Um, whereas Bloyd's kind of saying that I have an answer for just about everything, and I can pick you apart. Well, let's talk about the next deck coming in fourth uh, with twenty one points. Uh, I believe this is the deck that you played at the Pro Tour, uh, Mason, uh, and that is Humans. Uh, a deck that is trimming its Brave the Elements. I wanted you to talk about that, Mason. And this is the thing we saw in the Pro Tour, too. There was some amount of, like, Braves being trimmed, some people playing Skrell, uh, lots of different things. Really, Brave is a card that lines up really well against Monogreen. I think that's also the reason we're seeing humans come back in a real force. We saw Monogreen kind of, when we talked about the first uh, sort of quarter of RCs at the beginning of this season, um, it was, you know, Monogreen was everywhere. It was, like, one of the best decks. It did really well. It outperformed its data, as we talked about. Uh, like Basically, its sample size to the amount of points it got was like you know really good for green. And players, you know, like I mentioned at the beginning of the show, when they see information like that, they respond accordingly. And humans is a great way to be like, hey, you know, I, you think mono green's really good. Well, I sort of rose up in the metagame to begin with because I'm good against green. And humans is just a very solid deck. Um, it has some issues with some of our top decks. You know, we alluded to Rakdos sacrifices somewhere in our top three now. You know that, ooh, weird land though. And Rakdos midrange is still a problem. But humans has a low fail rate. And this is something you've seen Abe talk about twice now. I really want to hammer home. It was one of the biggest improvements for me in Magic. So if you take nothing from this episode, I'd argue this is what you take away. Creatures have a very low fail rate. And what we mean by that is when you play them, they always like at least attack and block and generate damage. And they were like a recursive way of doing that. And that's really important. So when you play a deck like blue, I control from a second go, all your cards need to line up, right? You need to make profitable exchanges. Well, if I go, you know, Kithian into Thalia into Adelaine, you know, the matchup might not be good, but if I'm on the play, that can be enough to beat a lot of decks, even matchups that are really bad for you. And so humans has a very low fail rate. It can get pushed and hated out of the format if targeted, but players weren't targeting it. And a lot of players saw that it's going against green, some other stuff, and sort of rose up the play, including Spirits, which was, you know, maybe it made our list, maybe it didn't, but that was a deck that did really well at the first round of RCs that sort of fell off. And we're seeing a lot of decks that actually punish Spirits. You know, if you look back through our list, Phoenix, Convoke, and Humans, all good decks against uh, Spirits, so. Yeah, I think there's, like, two things going for Humans here that, uh, like, just in the format that Played it being well, right? Not only do the decks that we were talking about um, last month, not only are those ones where, like, Mono Green is just a very good matchup for humans, and also some of the the lower matchups, like you were saying, Mason, the, the like, bottom half of our top eight were uh, ones where, like, you're happy playing the human side. Also, at the same time, people eased up on the things that, you know, hurt Convoke that also were causing some collateral damage to humans, right? Like, if you're playing, if people are playing a bunch of decks, that are designed to be able to beat decks flooding the board early, then you're naturally going to catch a lot of stray bullets as the deck that is also just trying to play the board with a lot of small creatures. And as more of that has eased, then that's become less of the focus of the format. Like, Humans gets it both ways, right? Like, now, not only are all of the decks that were its, um, were its like, worst matchups who were built 
the most they've ever been to be able to beat humans. Um, they also had all these matchups of other decks that were um, like are good decks to be paired against just about every round, right? Like if if all of these things are true, then now you're only a little bit behind as opposed to as behind as you were before against things that were already close because your deck is good, um, but still unfavored. And then you also have these favorable matchups floating around the room um, on top of that. And so I, it's unsurprising for me to see that Mono White has has risen from you know non-existent to to in our our top half here yeah next up we have rakdos mid coming in with 26 points uh how the mighty have fallen uh honestly we we mentioned this last time and i i'm just gonna spoil the number one deck if you know that's though mason's mason's sarcasm hasn't already uh but uh, yeah, the number the one one deck is Rakdos Sack. And last last week, I specifically think that we said, "quote You're going to see Rakdos mid range lose a lot of equity uh, in the or, or not equity um, real estate because a lot of those players are going to switch to Rakdos Sack." And I don't know. I I think that we that just a hundred percent played out in the data. Abe. Yeah, I mean, not only did and the continued, like, just fine, good, but not, you know, excellent um, of Rakdos mid-range. Like, has that continued where it was still just among the most played decks? Um, I think it was, like, the second most played deck in the South American Brazil RCs behind Rakdos Sack, which just shows that people are like, well, if we're playing these two builds, like, Rakdos Sack just is better positioned and performing better. And also, among those players doing that include some of the people who were probably the people who it didn't matter which of the two they picked would have very good winning records, right? Like some of the best players in, in those regions were just playing Sacrifice, but could have also played Rakdos mid-range or been planning on it previously um, and done just as well. But Rakdos mid-range itself still going to be, you know, around always. It is It is an extremely popular and good deck, but again, underperforming the amount to which it is, you know, always that first, second, or third most played deck. Um, like it's not, it's not outperforming its uh, its representation in a way that you'd really hope for it to. But at the same time, it's not underperforming it either, right? You're the second or third most played deck, and you're the second or third most points being racked up in our power rankings. That means that it's justified that your deck is that played and that good because you are converting that much of the time. It's just not. And it's kind of inherently the thing about Rakdos is that it's not ever going to be just like, oh, wow, Rakdos, I can't believe you played that. What a smart choice. You know, like it's never going to be that that breakout thing, but it's also never, it's going to be really, really hard for it to be that, uh, that I can't believe you chose to play that. That was a bad choice. And, and it really just shows that I think every time we do power rankings for Pioneer for a long time, that's kind of just me the case. The deck is, is good, but it's not, um, it's hard to say it is definitively the best deck over a weekend because it's almost never going to be that. Uh, you know, it will always be a good concrete choice. You're going to be solid, but um, it's it's not going to be something that wows you. And you have to be okay with that, which is fine. But that's really what I feel like we've seen now every time we talk about Rakdos uh, as the format's had pressure on it. 
Yeah, Rakdos also, um, over time, I think will fall off a little bit. Like, as the format increases in strength, these sort of, like, mid-range one-for-one strategies are going to, like, fall back a bit, I think. And things like Rakdos Sacrifice, the little position against it, the Monogreen are two of the most played decks. We're seeing, you know, uh, things like Convoke and Phoenix and Blue White ask a lot of, in Grease Fang, ask a lot of different types of questions, right? Like, Go Blank is really good against Phoenix, but really not so great against Abs and Grease Fang. You're on the draw half the games, you know? Convoke asks a totally different answer of you than sort of humans does, right? Your extinction events don't line up nearly as well versus Convoke as they do versus Blue White. I'm sorry, versus humans. And then Blue White's asking completely different stuff of you. So, you know, just with those decks, I'm not even talking about the mirror or sacrifice or green or spirits or lotus field any of those other decks it there's a lot of pressure for you to sort of nail it and get it right and if you do you're going to see consistent results and you know we saw misplaced ginger you know has continued to do really well with the deck has top aided three of the four rcs uh that he's competed in playing rectus midrange in canada which is you know an incredible feat and if you play really well and work really hard and you're on top of things you will get rewarded but your deck is like the times I think are catching up to it. And like Gabe said, I, I think it, it is still in a lot of ways like kind of it or green are sort of my like suggestions if you're new getting into the format and you have to like buy a deck and learn it really well. But it is harder for it to sort of consistently be like one of the best choices and not just one of the safest choices, even though I think it will continue one of the like reasonable decks for the first time. I feel like I want to make it clear that when I say that, I think that means that Rakdos and, you know, by proxy, like what you're saying, Mason, about green, both of those are great decks to just learn and spend time understanding and knowing how to build and the nuances of if you're playing RCQs and you're you're preparing for your RCQ season and you're worried about not just this Pioneer RCQ season that's kind of still winding down, but then also, you know, whatever follows and like what RCQ season is going to look like six months from now if it's Pioneer again then that's a great place to be when you're playing a lot of events back to back to back and you want to make sure that you're playing a really good deck. When it comes to these RCs, though, events where you really need to spike and you need to be having a really, really strong finish, that's where you start to see the cracks show. So I I, I don't want to be like down on Rakdos midrange. If you're someone who's thinking about what to play at your RC level, if you're someone, right, Misplaced Ginger does it the absolute best, right, of all the people who play Rakdos. He's so in tune with everything going on and he always has the understanding and the ability to make his list line up to what he's expecting and knows how to build the deck and knows how it works. He can play that that deck building like jigsaw puzzle really, really well. And because of that, he's always successful. If you learn to do that yourself, you can also be really successful too. And as long as you don't let yourself fall too far out from where you were, you're never going to fall down to the point of, oh, my deck's just not playable. You know, like that will always be a good choice and you will always be in position to be the reasonable deck gamer you want to be in the long term um, with something like Rakdos for, you know, the next year, two years. Like I imagine that's probably just the case unless something crazy happens in the format. Um, And so I I just want to make sure that that's clear. When I say that it's performing as expected and that's like, that sounds like maybe, oh, it's like bad. It's not, it's not a great deck to be playing. It is a great deck to be playing for things like RCQs. It's not the deck you want to be playing if you're trying to win like a single event like a Pro Tour or an RC. I think that Mason said something that uh, just reminded me about kind of like this history of these style of decks. Um, whether it be Legacy, whether it be Modern, whether it be Pioneer now, is that it takes some stuff for like these style of decks to go from 
this reasonable deck that everybody can play that they can put a lot of time into and like see the fruits of their labor it, it takes it takes some changes and, and some things that need to happen to get people off of that style of deck whether it be you know multiple bands for jund and modern before it finally people were like all right i guess it's time to, to hang it up um and, and at the same time the the format because of that became about combo and really like you know blitzing out your opponent whether it be with uh you know some blitz style deck or uh really fast combo decks and here we've seen the introduction of things like convoke we've seen the pressure being put on and the way that mason was describing that this kind of this pincer effect happening where people are coming at you from too many angles for you to start to keep up and um what does that mean long term probably long, long term, it means that a deck like Raptos will eventually fall off as the format gets bigger and bigger. But that's obviously not what the data is saying right now. The data right now is saying this is a reasonable deck and you can play it. Uh, coming in in second place uh, with 39 points, almost double our fourth place deck is uh, Mono Green Devotion. Uh, Abe, you want to say something on this one? <laughs> it's just it's it's just kind of the best deck. I don't know. People should just, I, I I'm I'm gonna stay off my soapbox. You should just play mono green and learn to play mono green, because everyone I've ever talked about Pioneer says I hate playing against mono green. The matchups close or not good. Um, and every time I've played mono green, my opponent's been like, oh, I don't know, like told me those things. And then when I'm like, well, why don't you play mono green? The players around me who I know want to win, they're like, I just can't bring myself to do it, which is not a logical reason to not do it if you want to win Magic tournaments. So to me, I just got to say, it's a good time to learn some stock green. Good time to just get over yourself, get in the trenches with some forests and some Lanorels, some Nykthos, and, uh, and enjoy, you know, playing some of the most... ABC magic possible. I mean, obviously you need to do a lot of things. I'm, I'm over something a bit. A lot of things you need to learn um, in terms of like the finer things, but there's a lot of resources out there. You know, um, Bobby Fortinality has written a lot of Twitter th threads and done a lot of um, like, you know, content just on the deck in general. There's a lot of resources out there. It's very explored and it is just like the best deck in the format, in my opinion if not just a better, always safe stock deck than Rakdos Midrange. I think that one of the Even things... Even if it's less fun to play. <laughs> well, unless you like it. Uh, I think that one of the really interesting things about Mono Green in this format... Is that even like it's bad matchups? They're not like that bad. Like, I don't know that like Blue... Like, if, if I sat down against Blue Eye Control, for example... I don't think it's a good matchup, but like... Oh, I think... I think Blue Eye Control, like traditional Blue Eye Control, is a good matchup. Interesting. I would be interested to see if the data reflects that. Um, I think Farewell is like really, really good against Mono Green. Yeah, I think. Um, anyway, my, I my think point, the... my point, not not to get into like individual matchups, is that outside of a few things, I don't know that like the matchups are that bad for Green because, like you and Mason said earlier, it, the way that it's winning the game is through creatures, and so thus its fail rate is really, really low. It also, it has it both ways too, right? Like this is one of the things that's so impressive about Monogreen and one of the things that Pelucranos really tied the room together on is not only 
in your like bad matchups where you know things can kind of go sideways you are just still a good play creature to the board beat down deck where you don't have to combo also in the matchups where you just have to go as fast as humanly possible and combo you now have like those decks traditionally don't interact with your turn to like three drops and now you have additional like draws where you just have a ton of devotion early and a ton of mana early and can actually just put your pedal to the to the gas like pedal to the metal and just go and try to combo them as fast as possible and outrace them on their draws that kind of stumble so you actually are now like Plukno's made the deck a better combo deck at being a fast combo deck and the draws that it needs to be like you have more of those draws where you have that high devotion count and in the matchups where you need to be just playing to the board you have another thing that plays to the board really well it really does like the deck has just gotten a little bit better in all these ways and continues to just be hard to truly count out of any game. You will just like have those games where your deck performs and it's that good. Yeah, and in the combo games too, you mentioned like you have the devotion to combo off against them. You also are just putting a lot of power in play. If you're on the play and like, let's say whatever bad matchup you want to say that's like, or a combo deck matchup, right? And I go Elf, Pelucranos, Olgrove Troll, you're dead in two more turns. You know, that's like really simple math. So you need to have it or have someone interact with that. And that's also assuming you have a Karn that gets some even just minor disruption piece, right? Let's say I pithing needle you and you could beat that, but it takes you a turn. We just talked about I'm presenting a lot of power on the board. So I think Mono Green is really, really good. And just having more one into three really helps smooth the deck out. And the three, I think, uh, being defensive, more defensive in nature really helped. Because I heard people talk about, like, why not steal the champion in the past? Or why don't we see decks like Mono Green Stompy? And the answer is, is like, being able to play the two games plans at the same time is better than going like elf steal your champion attack you. Like you want to be able to have all of these things that modern green gets to have the aggressive draws and the combo. It's very, very good. It is really hard to like dedicate hate out modern green. It is sort of like Rakdos, I think in that way where it is like, Oh, you need to have like very specific cards to even sort of start to affect this card. Like farewell, for example, which is not really tenable versus most of the other format. It's why, like, I think Blue White Lotus Field makes more sense because it can actually support a card like uh, Farewell and have it line up versus the rest of the format because it's getting to that mana quicker than other decks do. Even if you don't, you know, use a Shrek Proctor to cheat in and you just, like, play at Thespian stage, that is a turn sooner than normal Farewells. And Farewell being, you know, five mana versus six mana is actually huge, you know? So... That is all to be said. I think Monogreen is very good. I highly suggest it. If you are someone who is thinking about getting into, you know, Pioneer and you want to play one of the best decks and you're not a fan of Thought Seizing slash Interactive Magic, uh, you cannot, like, Monogreen is going to be reasonable. I think Monogreen probably got underplayed at the end of the last season um, due to some metagame shifts and people feeling Monogreen sort of fell off of it. But I think it has just been really good the entire time. It will not change like that. And I actually think the next deck we're going to talk about is actually probably should have been played more than this whole time, too, because it was perceived that Mono Green is this deck's worst matchup, which I think it is really bad and it's sort of unwinnable. Mono Green only got better, and I think better theoretically versus this deck than cards they play now line up better. But, you know, Racto Sack players finally figured out how to beat Mono Green. So. Yeah, uh, let's talk about Racto Sack really quick. It, uh, you know, it. it... I think I think the thing about Rakdosak is that it has some really really good matchups, and like not that many like oh my gosh I can't believe I just played against that, 
uh, which is not typical of a deck to have like like a home run matchup like mono white, right? And then not have something on the other side that you're like, oh my gosh, like I'm never ever gonna beat this. That's just kind of not how it plays out for this deck within those top decks, Mason. Yeah, I, I think that's true. I also think like there were some big shifts. Like for a while, right, their sack players just sideboarded their thought season had more cards that like make the synergies go. And the big one of the two big changes has been, well, let's just play our thought season in our main deck. And then when we have those bad matchups, because basically all of Rakdos Sack's bad matchups are combo decks. That is sort of the uh prevailing theme. Rakdos Sack just beats the dog crap out of a creature deck. If you try to play the board, Rakdos Sack is the best deck against you, basically. It is better than blue-white. It is just very good at controlling and beating you. Um, unless you have some sort of combo element. And so players started putting their thought seasons in the main deck again and instead of sideboarding them and sort of making their deck less synergistic of doing the combo thing, what it turns out is, like we talked about in the past, Pioneer is a format where you kind of have some outlier cards in the power level, and if you take those away, these creatures just being on the board hitting you, and you know, you like play a cat, and then you play like another little one drop, like a Blood Tide, and then you play something in Thoughtseize, and now their combo doesn't work, and you buy two or three more turns, and you start, you know, pinging them with Mayhem Devil and Cat Oven. So, uh, Rectosac is very, very good, and the addition of Thoughtseize to the main deck really helped it, and then the other thing that I think was sort of the technology that I think should have been happening the whole time is players figured out Furnish Reigns is good against green, and that sort of shifted things. And the reason players started playing Furnish Reigns is it's like a better act of treason that like has some small percentage points. Thinking back on it all, I think we should have just been playing active treason the whole time, and it would have been good enough, and our deck would have solved a lot of the, the green matchup, which really was like last summer, people like Rector Sack is really good, but I can't beat. Lotus Field and Green, and I believe it uh, was Greasefang at the time. Those are sort of the three problematic matchups that were playing around last summer. So people just didn't play Sack. But I think if they had just started playing Active Trees in the main deck and Thoughtseize, we should have seen this deck the whole time. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, I think that the data says that the Greasefang and Monogreen matchups are still not, like, good for you. But at the same time, uh, like, they were playing Karis as expertise. So it's not like they weren't playing a Steel Effect. Yeah, I think Karzevs is just, like, a lot harder on the mana. Oh, I like, agree. I, the mana, I agree. Yeah. And so I think it should just literally have been Act of Treason. So, you know, whatever. Doesn't Act really of Treason can't be the best one red steel effect outside of this one, can it? This one that makes a blood. Is there one that makes a blood? Yeah, I mean, that one would That one's one red, that red, one red would, too. Oh, is no, it two red? No, no, the one that makes a blood oh, is, oh, is two oh, and a red. Oh, okay. That, do that one instead. <laughs> sure, who cares? You should have just been playing an Act like. Furnace Reigns making a treasure, like, does matter and is better than these other things. But, like, they should have just been doing this is my main point. And I think having, like, actual game plans against these decks really do matter. And I, I know I, I'm going to yield the floor here, I guess. It kind of reminds me of how, how, I don't remember which, I think it was you, Mason, when you were talking about the, um, the Yogg deck in Modern last, was it last week or the week before? where you kind of talked about how it adjusted to kind of have this more like rounded game plan rather than what it was doing. And that's kind of all SAC had to do. Uh, it it got to keep its insanely good matchup against like humans and Rakdos mid and like all of these insane matchups while just giving yourself those RPG points in the right places. Yeah, I think that a big thing that I've noticed about the Sacrifice deck and the way it's changed is that it's really embraced that Mayhem Devil is its shouldered, and like 
all of its tools work around that. So in the sense of like trimming down on the intense emphasis on, you know, like the rest of the sacrifice synergies and just being like, no, like what I really need to do is assemble this position where my mayhem devil is like just every time I'm getting an untap, every time game actions are happening, I'm netting value and, and I'm doing something either to the board or like killing my opponent out of this card that is just difficult to remove for the um for like the aggressive decks as well as um you know like doesn't die to fatal push so like i have my version of this threat and then like everything else kind of falls into place from there right like now you can say okay i don't need to have like all of these other sacrifice synergies i don't need to be like excited about the fact that i have obnixilis and can now like get a bunch of triggers and get a bunch of extra cards like no like i'm doing enough with mayhem devil cat oven i'm making it so that the game prolonging every turn is causing my opponent to bleed out and from there like and also along the way i'm better at beating things like a seeker's chariot or like you know that entire dynamic of people playing to the board i'm going to do well against um and while they do still have problems right like there are still a lot of games i've watched sacrifice play where like the Rakdos player just plays children and doesn't go answered because uh, they like don't have that fatal push or they don't have that answer um, or like I, playing the green side like there's a lot of games where just a Karn comes down and is able to be protected and that's more than they can handle um, but on the, at the same time so many of the decks in the format are not those two like those are two decks and two examples of positions from decks that we are literally talking about as it's just not possible to be like, yeah, this is where I'm just always going to win. And they're like, their strength is that they're always in contention and they can always win any game. Like their matchups are never too bad. So obviously, even when we're talking about the deck that is the best right now and had the like not only the strongest, I think it had some of the most finishes, was becoming the most played deck and also had, I believe, two wins last weekend um, at the two RCs over the weekend. Like And, and won the challenge. Yeah, like, data, so this but... deck is obviously in the best possible position. That doesn't mean it's infallible and then it can't be beaten, just that it does it really well a lot of the time. So when those are the things we're talking about is those are its weaknesses or the decks that have no weaknesses have positions that are good against it. Like, yeah, that that's part of those decks having no weaknesses, not that this deck is not able to compete um, and stay that way. I think also the the move away from like, Hitsugu's probably helped. Brotherhood's end being like on a down um, in the format probably has helped. Like, I think there are things that can happen to make this deck a little bit more contained and controlled around the rest of the format. But right now, it is really just in a very, very strong, strong spot. Is there anything you guys? We, we've kind of been talking about different parts of the data and how to use it. Kind of this whole episode. Is there anything you, uh, you Abe, want to say about that before we we move on? Or you, Mason? Uh, let, let's talk about which deck surprised us the most, just really quickly. Uh, I, I'll, I'll go first. I I saw the Japanese RC and thought for sure that the success of Gruul would transfer over. I thought a lot of the things that people were doing were really inter interesting. Um, kind of moving away from Sky Sovereign in this format, I think it makes a ton of sense. And I, I thought that, that would transfer to the rest of the RCs, and I think it only had top 32 finishes. Uh, after that and that that's one that surprised me a lot mostly because i think that gruel 
does, I mean, we talked about it a little bit during this episode, it has this ability to just, you know, play creatures, which we've seen be successful in other areas. And Mason, what about you? What deck surprised you the most in this round of RCs? Um, I think Spirit's falling off the map completely. I want to take a quick look here at our power rankings and see. Yeah, I mean, Spirit's so... It didn't make our power rankings. It had 12 points. 13 point was our base. So, like, it, it I, for some reason, I thought I had seven points in my head when we were talking about it before. But I think Spirits, just barely not making it there. I think Spirits is really good. Uh, a lot of the decks we talked about are good against it. Um, and that makes sense that those would sort of etch it out. But, yeah, that is sort of the one that I think... Uh, it, it actually did really well at the last... Two, the RCs this weekend, for what it's worth. Um, mm -hmm. I think I would have to look at the Frank Carson tweet, but I do believe that it had one of the best win percentages of the weekend. Yeah, Spirits is really good. I would say Phoenix is probably the most uh, surprising to me, just because it's a deck that I, I don't know, I've always, since like creativity became like more of a presence, I think it's been a deck that I feel... Has creativity felt like a deck that has all of the strengths and not many of the weaknesses, but just seeing like how much the weaknesses or like what is considered a weakness in the format has changed in terms of like blue white continuing to be good, meaning that like it is just harder to resolve a four mana sorcery speed non creature spell without like doing other things to put them under pressure. Um, as well as like I don't know, just between this this set of finishes, I mean, I know that um, like ninth place in Dallas was a phoenix player we talked about that um last month like the few and far between finishes of a deck that is not being heavily played right now being so high makes me think a little bit more about just how good those the deck is compared to like um i don't know the zoomer drake's deck that kind of had a uh its moment here in the last couple of weeks uh if you're really in touch with what's going on in pioneer or zero um, zero points throughout the power rankings for what it's worth yeah, but I mean, just saying, like, the, of all the blue red options, seeing that that core is still competitive and that Phoenix is the one to be playing right now sure. was kind of surprising because it feels like feels like seeing no creativity after a big um, sentiment before the the RC season started was like, oh yeah, creativity is one of those decks yeah. that you're just going to see a lot of. That was that was actually uh, I think it was when we had the, the second segment last time that that was your biggest surprise is that creativity just fell off a cliff right it it made our top eight but it after the pro tour just like continued to go down and one of the things that i think is interesting is we still have blue red decks doing well regard whatever event you're playing in there's probably a blue red deck that did pretty good you know we've seen the turns deck top eight challenges we've seen the different versions of the creativity deck well do well we've seen the phoenix deck there is something to blue red decks in this format but maybe it's just that there is a right time and a right place for different versions of them. Yeah, you, you need to be on top of it. The blue-red shell is, like, the interaction and everything is good, but you have to be playing the right thing for the right weekend. And, you know, like, creativity is really good until you're, like, run into, like, blue-white control, right? And, like, the different types of blue-white. Like, okay, am I playing Atraxa versus the combo, right? Like, if I combo you and I, like, push it through your counter spells or whatever, where you're trying to play the tap out low spell deck, which doesn't really have counters. Like, all right, that's super good. But if players are playing the heavy counter spell builds, you're going to fall over and die. And it's like, well, I'd much rather be Phoenix in that case, right? Like that matchup is actually pretty good for you. And so you can fight through a lot of these things. Um, 
but you have to be like on top of it and you can't just be like i'm going to be playing this blue red deck all the time like i mentioned before i don't think blue red phoenix or i don't think sorry is it phoenix is going to stick around uh in like a consistent way but it will have weekends where it's really good and you should play it on those weekends as like the is it deck of choice just like i think drakes will have really good weekends i i've played decks like drakes before the zoomers did it like our decks are were very similar and that deck has moments where it's really really strong but it has a lot of moments where it doesn't line up as well and trying to resolve a big crackling drake even with protection is like not a reasonable plan so um there's a lot going on with those things you should be ever vigilant and if you're someone who loves like steam vents and you want to be a steam vents gamer your box of cards you know we sort of talk about this theoretical box where you grab the cards play that weekend it's going to be a big long cardboard box with a lot of different options and you got to be like okay this weekend i'm attracting or this weekend i'm world spining or this weekend i'm fair world spining or i'm draking you know like you will need to be on top of things in a way that's very similar to Rakdos, and that's really hard to do and consistently perform. So it is good. The shells are nice, but if you want to be getting like the 100% maximum out of your steam vents every weekend, you're going to be really neat to staying on top of things and having good plans and making sure you're not walking into the correct hate. Uh, all right. Uh, I know the answers to this, but it's fine. We'll ask you. Uh, Abe, uh, you got an RCQ this weekend. You got to qualify for Atlanta stuff. What are you playing? I'm playing stock green. Uh, you know, it just seems pretty good. I don't know. It just, it just, does, it just does it. I don't know. Mason? Uh, if I could not play green, I would play the Convoke deck. I think the Convoke deck is underplayed. It is very good. It is hard to play. Uh, Sacrifice would also be up there. But. Yeah, sac- sac seems really strong. I, I think right now, um, I... I think like if I think about uh, kind of the format and what I want to be doing in it, I really like that green has really impactful flex slots compared to other decks. Like you only get like five of them between like maybe max and they're all like really impactful. Like even just playing an extra land can like really change percentages in this deck. And like a lot of other decks that I play. Uh, and I really like that. So I'd probably stick with green. So that is going to do it for our power rankings. If you have any thoughts on them, don't forget to head over to patreon.com slash gcpg. Join the Discord and talk with people there. Speaking of Patreon, we have a Patreon question from Mike. He says, hey guys, love the shout-out sometimes. I give, I give you a shout-out all the time. We mean sometimes. What? Uh, who you guys would say is the best Batman? Just saw The Flash and was sh- in shock at how good Michael Keaton was. Uh, Mason, how many Batman movies have you seen? I've seen all of them. Batman is my favorite superhero. I didn't know that about you. Who's your Who's your favorite Batman? Uh, I, it's tough. I think there's a lot of good ones and a lot of different reasons. My current favorite one is Robert Pattinson. I really liked his portrayal in The Batman. There's also the least of him, which maybe plays a big part of it. But I really like Robert Pattinson, and I love... Um, oh, Lord, I'm forgetting his name now. But the animated series Batman, um, who has movies, he is really good, too. Uh, I can't remember his name. I'm going to look it up. I'll come back to me. Hang on. I'm going to get that guy's name. He's he's worth a shout out. I'll be right back. All right. I know nothing about how to answer this question at all. So I'm actually going to concede my time back to Mason once he has this answer uh, so that he can just give more Batman since I also didn't know he was a Batman I had no guy. idea that Mason Weird to like Batman. billionaire Kevin so much. Kevin Conroy Kevin is a hero billionaire. Kevin Conroy yes. is yeah. so great at being a teacher to the actual best Batman Will Friedel. 
Will Cardell. I don't remember him by name. Will Friedle, known as Batman in Batman Beyond, is the best Batman. Batman Beyond. Wait, do you mean like the kid Batman? Yeah, Batman. He's Batman. There's a really good line in that in I don't remember if it's the movie or the TV show where uh, where Wilfredell's character uh, asks Bruce he's like how did you know that you weren't insane and he said because because in my head I kept calling myself Bruce I don't call myself Bruce in my head and uh, Wilfredell's character goes. It knows what he's thinking, and he's like, but that's just not true anymore. I'm Batman. And, like, he does it in the Batman voice. It's, like, one of my favorite lines in a cartoon. Because sure. because Bruce doesn't call himself Bruce. He calls himself Batman. Yeah. And that yeah. that that Batman, by the way, the, the older Batman, it is a continuation of the animated series, and it is played by Kevin. Yeah, I was saying, I thought I thought you were saying Kevin Conroy's character was voiced by this guy. And I was like, no, no that's the same Batman. But not no. until you started telling your example, like, yeah. I was like, okay, I was very confused. I, yes. I love yeah, that, I love Uh One, I think that like it takes on this like cocky teen approach to Batman rather than mm-hmm. the disgruntled old orphan. And I, I don't know, I just really enjoy it. Sure. Do you like that he's just a clone of Batman? So um, I thought that that storyline was really weird. Like, the way that it, okay. like, happens at the end, you're like, wait, what? Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know. That's a huge spoiler. Like, if you're ever going to get into the show. That's <laughs> from, like, the late 90s, I early 2000s. I'm not giving you a spoiler warning on any show that was around when I was five years old. That's, That's just not happening. It's like... Uh, I, I, think that, I think that episode's great. That's all I'll say. Yeah. It is. It's... I mean, the, the, that show is just great. I think the villains in that are some of my favorite. I will give an honorable mention. I actually think Heath, Heath Ledger... Or, or not Heath Ledger... Um. Oh my gosh, what's his name? Um uh Christian uh Christian Bale. Christian Bale, I think, is a really good Bruce Wayne, and I think is underrated as Bruce Wayne. And people just like to like dog on things that are popular, but I actually think he's like one of my favorite Bruce's. I think it's this voice is the problem. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> I really need a Robotussin. <laughs> That's what the problem is. <laughs> I, I, I I'll use a little bit of Abe's time. I'll say the Lego Batman, whose name I can't. Oh, oh dude, he's funny. so good. He was really good. He was really funny. And then the Batman from the Harley Quinn show is really good. I like him as well. Wait, what? Have you not seen the Harley Quinn show? Like the cartoon on HBO Max? Yeah, it's like a it's 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 a cartoon the same way Family Guy is. But yeah, oh, I haven't seen that. That's interesting. It's very it's very funny. Well, there you go. One of the questions that we got was, is it okay if we ask non-magic questions for the Patreon question? And I was like, yeah, of course. Like, why wouldn't that be okay? It's your questions. You guys can ask whatever you want. Doesn't mean we'll read them all, but, you know. Uh, They're good on this one when we have heavy episodes on theory. You know, like, when we already do a lot of magic stuff, yeah. having a little lighthearted at the end is good. Yeah. Yeah. When you listen to us talk about metagame breakdown for an hour, and then you hear Mason go, I think it's this voice. <laughs> then... <laughs> It really does work. So, <laughs> when he talks about modern green, I'll do it for the people. <laughs> no, I'm like trying to keep Gotham safe, baby. That's all. I'm trying to keep you and Gotham safe. Just like yeah. Abe's got like a big light in his house with like a forest symbol. <laughs> he shines it before he goes to play. 
Anyway, if you want to talk, I can handle it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. Uh, My contact's freaking out. Uh, If you want to join the conversation, you can do so in the Patreon Discord, in the public He's a Game Media Discord, or in the YouTube comments. They're great. You know, let us know your favorite Batman in the YouTube comments. Uh, Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at CCMG. Don't forget to check out uh, the. Uh, other podcasts on our network with Sam Black drafting archetypes. It is awesome. Uh, like, sub, review, and comment. There's, if you can't support the show via Patreon or things like that, the, one of the best ways to do it is just to spread the word through those things, things. Like, I can't express how helpful things like YouTube likes and comments are to getting you into the algorithm within the first like two hours of the post. It is actually the literal most important thing for getting into the YouTube algorithm. And things like those reviews that I, I think I posted. Uh, a really awesome review that we got just uh, just just like my birthday weekend um, on on iTunes. Like those things are also the other podcast platforms use iTunes reviews to promote podcasts. Like even if they're not on iTunes, they still care about that. So it's a it's a huge help. Uh, people want to find you directly, Mason. Um, you know your business is struggling. Elon Musk is messing you up, man. What? How? How can we help you? <laughs> well, Twitter is back to fully functioning. If you were there on the weekend, there's an eight-hour uh, sort of everything's crashing, burning, but they're back to normal for now. You can find me over on Twitter at Mason E. Clark. You can find me each and every week on Card Kingdom writing an article. This week, I'm actually writing an article kind of adjacent to last week's uh, episode about, you know, if you're trying to get into modern, what you do, I'm going to have like 10 decks and sort of, you know, like these are cheap ways versus expensive ways, decks that can pour into other decks. So if you're curious about that, you want to check out Card Kingdom this Thursday. Uh, you can also find me on twitch.tv slash the Mason Clark each and every uh, week. I try and stream normally in the morning. Uh, and that's sort of where I go there. And if you want to reach out to me for coaching, uh, I have availabilities right now. You can do that via email, which is masonclark at gmail.com or Twitter DM at masonclark. Once again, Abe, if someone wants to find you. Oh, sorry, real quick. I'll be doing the NRG coverage uh, this weekend for the team event and legacy. So if you like, legacy and you want to check that out you want to check out uh nrg series on twitch if someone wants to find you where can they go find me over at twitter.com slash more nothings it's my it's my handle i uh as long as that website is still functioning i'll be there sure that website cease functioning i'll uh figure it out it's gonna be sad you got a blue sky invite for me mason no i've been on the wait list for like five months uh, you can find me at H on Twitter. You can find me every week on the Need to Nerd podcast, uh, every month on Smash Through, a podcast about always improving about Smash Bros. Um, and yeah, uh, I'm, I stream on Tuesdays and Thursdays uh, in the afternoon. Uh, so check check me out at twitch.tv slash heasymedia. Uh, usually those videos, if it is magic related, will go up on the Conservative Criticism YouTube channel. And if it is... Um, you know, something something else that'll go up on the Easy Game YouTube channel. Uh, that will do it. Uh, Mason, what did you learn on the show this week? I learned that first, Abe didn't believe me when I talked about is it Phoenix with him before the American RC? And second, that y'all didn't know Batman was my favorite uh, superhero. Even though I talk about him, I think a fair bit. Not, I'm not crazy about it, but I bring him up enough. So, what about you, Spencer? What did you learn this week? <laughs> Batman's your favorite superhero. <laughs> The way you were so excited to have a bet, I had no idea. You like glowed. Yeah, I was like, oh, I didn't I didn't know this. Uh that's great. Yeah, that's that's gas. I, I think that the other thing that I kind of learned this week is that 
Magic is such an interesting game where anybody will take an individual data point to try to make their point for something when like holistically it probably doesn't pan out that way. So like a really good example of this is people are saying like, um, uh, like Convoke is bad, right? They, they have the first round of RCs, Convoke's bad, really wasn't anything. But if you just look at the data overall, like it's just a fine deck. And I think too often we, or like we had that week where Blue White did really, really well for a hot second, right? And then people are like, oh, Blue White's the best deck. Everybody that hates on Blue White's a big dum-dum. And it's like, just look at everything. Just like, take a step back, process the information. It all says Mono Green's the best deck, and that that's probably what you should be playing, but you don't want to play it anyway. Right. What about you, Abe? I don't want to just go back to Batman again, but... I know nothing about Batman, so everything you just said was all words I'd never heard before. I just know I know very little about who's a good or bad Batman, Dude, any of that. Go watch. There's a lot of real learning. Go watch Batman Beyond. It it is futuristic, like steampunk Batman. As soon as I finish all this anime, anime. What? Wait, whoa, whoa, whoa! Anime minute. What anime are you watching? Go. <laughs> uh, so actually, I just finished season one of Blue Lock over the weekend. Go, um. Now I'm going to circle back for the full season of My Hero I haven't seen. And then uh, probably Kirko's Basketball after that. My tentative plan. I just watched My Hero with uh, my six-year-old turning seven. We watched the first season. We watched the second season up until the Steen arc. And now he's like, when can I watch the next one? I was like, I don't know, like in three years. (laughs) You gotta wait. (laughs) That's the anime. Like, listen, you and Maxwell can watch Blue Lock. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Blue Lock is fantastic. Yeah, it's fantastic. It's appropriate for him, and it's soccer related, so he'll probably like it. Anime. Thank you everyone for listening. We'll see you guys on next week with another episode of Constructed Anime: The Series.